would say that Kentucky is, uh, it's realigning. It's Republican, becoming increasingly Republican. It's a religious state as well. And I think you also see more of this sort of rural influence as well. Hello, and welcome to season four of The Ballpark, a podcast from the United States Center at the London School of Economics. This year, we're continuing our State of the States theme, where we look at what's going on in some important U.S. states and what this means for national politics. Since we last spoke to you, a lot has happened, from off-year statehouse elections to big policy shifts in some state capitals. Over the course of this series, we'll be bringing you the stories of the big issues of what's been going on in six important states, Kentucky, California, New York, Mississippi, Colorado, and North Dakota. We'll be speaking to academics and activists from each of these states to give you insights into the shape of local politics on the ground. I'm Chris Gilson, Managing Editor of the LSE U.S. Center's USAP blog, which has been covering U.S. politics and policy issues since 2013. This season, I'm also joined by a new co-host, Michaela Herman. Hi, everyone. It's great to have you with us, Michaela. So how have you come to join us on the ballpark? I'm a former master's in global politics student in the LSE's government department. I've been working behind the scenes over the last year to produce a few episodes in season three, as well as a lot of our extra innings. This is my debut in front of the mic, and I'm really excited to kick things off with Kentucky. For our last series, we spoke to Kristen Kantak and Chris Bono, who are both professors of political science at the University of Pittsburgh and co-editors of the State Politics and Policy Quarterly Journal. We asked them, just why are state politics important? State politics matter broadly because they they tend to be the politics that affects Americans the most. If you get arrested in the U.S., you're being arrested by either state or local authorities, right? So the federal government doesn't do that much that really affects kind of the day-to-day lives of Americans. Why should people outside of the U.S. care about U.S. state politics? Or should they? Well, the interesting thing about looking at the U.S. states is a lot of experimentation goes on policy-wise in the U.S. states. So from voter ID to cannabis legislation to tax and transport policy, the states have a huge say in people's lives. And through a process known as policy diffusion, states learn from the policy experiences of others. And in some cases, issues and policies, like same-sex marriage, for example, can work their way up to the federal government level, either through legislation or through the United States Supreme Court. In each episode of this new series, we'll be using the lens of state politics to explore a broader theme that's playing out on the national stage. And for Kentucky, that theme is a word you may have been hearing a lot more recently. Realignment. The state's politics have been moving in new and often unexpected directions over the last few years. We're going to look at what that means on the ground and what the repercussions nationally might also be. So to start things off for the new season, what's Kentucky all about? Why is it a state worth studying? Aren't they all? Of course, but I don't think Kentucky is a state that gets much attention outside the U.S. I think internationally, Kentucky is probably most commonly associated with bourbon, fried chicken, and their annual horse race, the Kentucky Derby. There are quite a few famous people from Kentucky, though, and some internationally recognizable ones at that. Muhammad Ali and George Clooney, just to name a couple. Side note, Colonel Sanders of KFC fame was actually from Indiana, not Kentucky. And he wasn't actually a military colonel, but that's a story for somebody else to tell. 
And Michaela, you're no stranger to Kentucky, are you? No, I haven't spent much time there myself, but I know I have quite a lot of family that draws their links back to Kentucky, not too distantly in the past either. A bunch of family that was in the Army and moved around a lot, but spent a significant and beloved amount of time in Kentucky itself. So aside from the folks Michaela mentioned, one of the most well-known Kentuckians right now is probably the United States Senate's majority leader and Republican Senator Mitch McConnell. That's mostly because of his influence on national rather than local politics, though. If you've heard that name recently, it's probably because President Trump's impeachment is in the news a lot right now. The other big news out of Kentucky in 2019 was the surprising election of a Democratic governor, Andy Bashir, and the ousting of Republican Governor Matt Bevin. This broke up Kentucky's Republican trifecta, in which the GOP held the governorship, state house, and state senate. In the U.S., when we say a state is red, that means it's typically Republican-leaning. When we say it's blue, that means it leans for the Democrats. I think we do tend to think of Kentucky as a resoundingly red state, especially here in the U.K. and Europe. But it turns out that that wasn't always the case. Absolutely. It's also worth remembering that the state's economy has been heavily dependent on coal over the years. And it remains the nation's fifth largest coal producer as of 2018. And Kentucky has a lovely nickname, the Bluegrass State, which comes from a common grass which produces blue flowers when the plant grows tall. So let's set the scene. So if you started out in the eastern portion of the state, it's butting up against Appalachia. That's Anne Sismar, an associate professor at Eastern Kentucky University. Anne Sismar, associate professor, Eastern Kentucky University, Department of Government. Professor Sismar has written for the U.S. Center's USAP blog about her current home state, so we wanted to speak with her to gain some more insight into what it's like to live in Kentucky and how its day-to-day politics affect Kentuckians. We started out by asking her what it's like to drive across the Bluegrass State. Uh, The Appalachian Mountains, rural areas, West Virginia, Virginia area on that side of the state. And I definitely think there's a particular culture affiliated with the eastern portion of the state. Um, It's historical coal mining area, very rural Appalachian, which means there tends to be um, lower economic opportunities, lower economic growth in that portion of the state. And northern Kentucky, as you drive you know, through, you would enter an area that is largely Cincinnati, Ohio suburbs. So it's going to be an area that has perhaps higher economic development and kind of a different flavor or vibe in that area of the state. Across the middle of the state, you have Lexington and the heart of the bluegrass. And so again, this is an area that has the horse farms that maybe people have heard of, know of, Kentucky Derby, you know, all of that, uh, that, that fame. And so you have this, this sort of nice rolling hillsides, green horse farms, et cetera. And then as you go across the state and enter the western portion of the state, again, you're going to have um, some coal mines in the, the southwestern portion, but it's not the same as the Appalachian region that's on the far east part of the state. And so it's, it's going to, again, look a little bit different than the other portions of the state, too. Kentucky is most definitely a Republican state in 2020. But it may surprise you that that's actually a relatively recent phenomenon. So Kentucky over the last decade has becoming increasingly Republican. We've seen that the New Deal coalition of Democrats focused more on entitlement issues and programs like that from the New Deal era back in the 1920s, 1930s. That coalition is finally breaking down in the state, and we're seeing the state going increasingly Republican over the last 10 years. So in the last election cycle, 2016, we had the Kentucky GOP Republicans 
take back control of the House of Representatives in the state after a 95-year absence um, in that position of Democratic control. We also see that in the last election cycle, all major statewide offices went for the Republicans, other than the governorship, which I've previously wrote a blog for you all about that um, and sort of why that's an outlier case. Trump also won 62% of the vote in the state and won all but two counties in the state. So this the state is increasingly moving to the right and becoming more consistently Republican. And that's a marked change over the, the past hundred years, let's say, of Kentucky politics. Thanks. That's really interesting because I think a lot of the perceptions people would have on, on this side of the Atlantic would be as a sort of a southern state that Kentucky would be a right-wing-ish sort of Republican state. And so what you're saying, that hasn't really been the case at all. No, that hasn't been the case until, again, in the last decade, we've really seen this move um, to the Republican side. It's been slowly transitioning, but it had been deeply Democratic, strong Democratic group um, previously, again, due to a lot of entitlement programs, social welfare policies, et cetera, that were, were useful to people in the state. Like all states, Kentucky has rich state politics that don't get nearly as much attention as what's going on in Washington, D.C., perhaps even more so in a state like Kentucky because of its two recognizable Republican senators, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, who both have high national profiles. This means that the issues that affect the day-to-day lives of Kentuckians might be overshadowed. So Kentucky's been dealing with a state employee pension crisis, and perhaps we're not unique in that. Several other states have been experiencing this as well, but it definitely helped to shape this most recent gubernatorial election just in November this year. Um, So I think that state employee pension crisis will be something to watch. Additionally, just overall funding for education, both at the K-12 level and then also for universities too, and, and the funding for that. I think you'll also see some particular discussion of gambling or gaming, particularly because there are thoughts that if we open up um, gambling or gaming, then perhaps we can get more tax based um, to help with some of those funding priorities. There's also been some discussion similarly then of marijuana or cannabis and what might be done on that front so that, again, um, perhaps there's some tax or revenue generated from those too. I also looked just yesterday at sort of the pre-filed bills for the legislative session coming up here in January of 2020. And I saw some other discussion about maternal health and uh, punishment regulations for schools, uh, things like solitary confinement featured too. Finally, although I guess this is also a national issue, immigration has interestingly popped up as well in this Kentucky legislative session. There's been some discussion about sanctuary cities, perhaps banning or creating legislation against sanctuary cities um, at the state level. Although the state doesn't, compared to some other states, have a a kind of a high percentage of immigrants coming in. So that's sort of an interesting law as well that they're looking at for this legislative session. Quick sidebar. We asked Professor Sismar to explain what sanctuary cities are and why they're controversial. Yeah, so sanctuary cities are ones that provide additional support or protection for undocumented immigrants. So there are people coming who don't have the necessary paperwork to be considered legal or lawful residents. And so some states have provided for additional protections um, at the city level for these for these folks. And in the state of Kentucky, again, I don't perceive this to be a state that has a high percentage of, of immigrants, or undocumented immigrants, but 
There's some talk that perhaps they want to officially limit the ability of cities to provide sanctuary city status. For some, one of the more surprising pieces of news that came out of 2019's midterm election results was the ousting of Kentucky's Republican governor, Matt Bevin. He was replaced by the state's attorney general, Andy Bashir, who was actually also the son of the governor who preceded Bevin, Scott Bashir. Professor Sisma shared some insights into what this Democratic victory might or might not mean for the future of Kentucky politics. I think that this state is still solidly Republican and that this really is an anomaly. So Bevin, the outgoing governor, was incredibly unpopular. He was unpopular even with many Republicans. He vetoed legislation that was supported and passed by the Republican-controlled House and Senate in in the Commonwealth. He also um, said some things about teachers and just in general, Kentuckians need to toughen up about the cold winter weather and some other statements that made him particularly unpopular. Um, Bashir also is the son of Steve Bashir, who was the governor immediately before Bevan, who was very popular and left office after being term limited from two terms. So I think that 2019 gubernatorial election really points more to an anomaly rather than um, something that will shape Kentucky politics going forward. So now that a Democrat sits in the governor's office in Kentucky, does a bluegrass state Democrat look like one from another state, like California, for example? So there is a great amount of disagreement about this particular issue. I would say that a Kentucky Democrat does not necessarily look like a California Democrat. And I would say Kentucky Democrats are usually distinctive in a couple of ways. So uh, first of all, you still have a a non-trivial portion of Kentucky Democrats who identify as pro-life rather than pro-choice on the abortion issue. I would say Kentuckians as a whole, including the Democrats, are also more religious and more frequently attending religious services than a Democrat in many other places around the nation, Um, California, New York, particularly more urban uh, center type of Democrats as well. So uh, I think a Kentucky Democrat doesn't necessarily look like a Democrat from other states. So looking nationally now, what role is Kentucky likely to play in the 2020 election? So I don't expect Kentucky to be featured prominently during that 2020 election cycle. Uh, The state is reliably red for national elections. It went 62 percentage points for Trump. So I expect that it will also be for Trump in 2020. Um, Additionally, I don't see it being a state either that candidates would visit a lot for fundraising purposes. So I don't expect really many candidate visits or much activity really to take place in this state. Um, it's not really going to be a swing state. And again, I don't, I don't perceive it as one where candidates might go for, for fundraising visits or things as well. So sadly for the voters here, I'm, I'm not sure that their votes will be too important in this upcoming election. One of the biggest themes that came up when we spoke to Professor Sismar was the idea of partisan realignment and how the swing towards the Republican Party for federal offices like the United States House of Representatives and the presidency is pulling the state's politics rightwards as well. Recently, it's been very Republican. So um, not just Trump, but also going against Obama in both 2008 and 2012. And so it's definitely been moving Republican for presidential elections for a longer time period, and then also for other national elected offices. So members of the Senate or the House of Representatives at the national level. And then it's finally trickled down to becoming more Republican as well for those statewide offices, and even the 
Kentucky Legislative Assembly as well. So political scientists have focused heavily on this realignment theory and how it occurs. And one argument is that there's a secular realignment. So people identify as a member of the party. They consider that part of their core identity. And so people are unwilling or unlikely to quickly throw off that party label and then relabel themselves as a member of the other team. And so there's a sort of delay in which People realize that at the national level, they maybe don't look like the presidential candidates anymore from a particular party. And they start thinking, well, I'm probably really supporting this other presidential candidate, these other senators, other members of the House of Representatives. But then at state or local offices, there's still the ability to carve out sort of what it means to be a Kentucky Democrat or Kentucky Republican. And so people still identify with that label for a longer time period. And then part of it is generational replacement. So some new voters come into the electorate who've only known politics under the current structure. And so they identify with with one of the two party labels based on current politics. And other folks will eventually change over after they've had just years of sort of looking at the parties as they stand at the national level and saying, well, I really, really don't fit with that party anymore. And so they slowly are willing to sort of change their, their party identification. But for many people, it's not something that you just flip from one day to the next, right? It's part of this this core attachment. Political scientists call this the unmoved mover. They say that it's a stable attachment over time. So people are slow to sort of adopt those new labels. So one Kentucky politician who's weathered all these changes is the now Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who's actually been in the U.S. Senate for 35 years. So why has Senator McConnell so far been untouchable in Kentucky? And now that he's up for re-election in 2020, what should we look out for in his re-election bid? So I think he has at least one Democratic challenger who's already announced, and Amy McGrath, and she was the candidate for Kentucky's 6th Congressional District in in the last election cycle against incumbent Andy Barr, who's a Republican. Um, And so we know that there's going to be at least, I think, a contentious or hotly focused on sort of election, but I think that Mitch McConnell is likely to go on to being reelected again for a couple of reasons. So he's a Republican in an increasingly Republican state. He also has incredible name recognition within the state and then also across the nation as somebody who's the Senate Majority Leader, been in politics for a very long time. Incumbency advantage also benefits the incumbent. So he has that organizational advantage, a good campaign team in place. He's well-financed. He has a lot of money saved. And again, he's well-known. So I think that there will be a lot of talk. It'll be uh, kind of like his last re-election bid in 2014, there was some talk that perhaps we could unseat, we, you know, we could unseat McConnell in the state, et cetera. Um, but that in the end, he he easily won that that election again. And so I expect a sort of similar story this time through. There'll be a lot of excitement, perhaps, about the challenger candidate, um, but that he's likely to go on to being re-elected. How to what extent is Mitch McConnell still a Kentucky politician? Because it seems to me he's been very federalized, if that makes sense. And and can you tell us a little bit about his challenger, Amy McGrath, and what her background is? Yeah. So I think, again, he is he does have that nationwide notoriety. At the state level, I don't perceive him to be overly popular. So I definitely think that people support him. He's well known. He's an institution in Kentucky politics and nationwide politics. And so People support that, appreciate that aspect of them, even if they don't necessarily 
have a high likability towards him. They're not overly excited, perhaps, about him as a candidate, but still respect the institution that he is in politics. And so I think that helps to explain his reelection, even if he isn't perhaps focused as much on kind of local Kentucky issues, especially as the Senate Majority Leader, he has a big job to do, and that includes focusing on things for the nation as a whole. And so that perhaps divorces him somewhat from local Kentucky focus or issues or speaking to those uh, types of of issues regularly, um, which we would expect of someone in his position. And then in terms of Amy McGrath, she uh, has actually a military background. So she has never held previous elected office, uh, but she was a fighter pilot uh, previously as her kind of previous career and then coming back to Kentucky and then running for the House of Representatives in 2018. And then Um, already announcing that she's going to run for the Senate seat in 2020 against McConnell. So what can Kentucky's experience tell us about what's happening in American politics more widely? So I think Kentucky is an interesting case because it's still showing the partisan realignment that's occurring in the United States. We have the solid Democratic South through um, the early part of the last century, focused mostly on economic issues, the New Deal coalition, etc. that takes place. And then starting around the 1950s and 1960s, we start seeing this change in American politics focused largely on what some scholars have referred to as the culture wars. Other folks have talked about the role of religion in this particular realignment or also race um, and gender issues. And so Kentucky is an interesting state because it started out in that, that solid democratic group And then as other states in the Deep South have transitioned over to being Republican, Kentucky still lingered on with that sort of Democratic identification, at least for state and local elections, until very recently. So I think it's finally showing us that the end of the realignment period focused on culture war issues, or perhaps based on issues with race and ethnicity, is finally solidified in the United States. And so I think that's an interesting tale about how politics has changed over the last 50, 60 years in the U.S. as as a whole. So with everything we talked about in mind, we asked Professor Sisma how she'd sum up the state's politics. I would say that Kentucky is, uh, it's realigning, it's Republican, becoming increasingly Republican. It's a religious state as well. And I think you also see more of this sort of rural influence as well. So across the nation, we have the rural-urban divide becoming more stark, really showing itself in terms of how people identify in politics, the types of issues they're focused on. But I think you still see this heavy rural influence in the state as well. So realigning, Republican, religious, and rural. I feel like Kentucky is a state full of surprises. And it's especially interesting that not too long ago, it was basically a blue state. Definitely. Kentucky seems like a good exemplar of the partisan realignment that's happening now across the U.S., as Professor Sismar pointed out. And the fact that we shouldn't take the election of Democratic Governor Andy Beshear to mean much for 2020 makes you wonder how his term in office might be a boon for Republicans, who are trying to get elected to statewide office there, and possibly a hindrance for Democrats. Or he could be a boon for Democrats. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have to see how Bashir's term shakes out leading up to 2020 and beyond. His administration has already ended the previous governor's four-year battle with Planned Parenthood in the state, recently informing them that they could reapply for a license to provide abortions at their clinic in downtown Louisville. And in his recently announced two-year budget plan, there's a $2,000 raise for all full-time public K-12 teachers in 2021, 
an additional $238 million over the next two years to fund Medicaid and Medicaid expansion, and $109 million for the Department of Corrections in the state. So there will definitely be some movement on the issues we spoke with Professor Sesmar about in the next couple of years. So we're saying goodbye to the Bluegrass State for now, but in this new series of The Ballpark, we're visiting a few more states this year. Next up, we'll be talking about environmental policy in California with local experts, and we'll also look at the ongoing showdown between the Golden State and the Trump administration. California and Californians in general are quite progressive, liberally speaking, and that in itself is in contravention to who Trump is and what he stands for and the kinds of policies that he has been trying to achieve. Then we'll head to the Big Apple, New York, to look at how America's biggest city works alongside the more rural parts of the Empire State. And stay with us for deep dives into the politics of Mississippi, Colorado, and North Dakota, where we'll be looking at issues like policing, fracking, and drug policy. So that's it for this episode of The Ballpark. Thanks so much for joining us as we kick off our latest State of the State season. Thanks so much to Professor Anne Sismar of Eastern Kentucky University. The Ballpark is produced by Michaela Herman with contributions from co-host Chris Gilson, that's me, and with help from the Phelan Foundation. Our theme tune is by Ranger in the Rear Rangers, a Seattle-based gypsy jazz band. Look them up at rangerswings.com. This episode also uses Creative Commons music from Lobo Loco. Check out full licensing information, links, and attribution in our show notes. Now for the legal bit. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of the U.S. Center or the London School of Economics. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.